Thank you, Mia. Thank you. Well, powerful statement, isn't it? And uh, uh, Mia, I love the message, and uh, and uh, love the heart with which you do that. Thank you. Thank you. Compose myself a little bit here. Powerful. Thank you, Ben. Um, Mia is a junior at. Thank you. My goodness, so many people helping me. Um, Mia is a junior at Aberdeen Christian School, and uh, I remember I've, I've known Mia her whole life, and I'm so grateful that you. Caleb and so many others are using the gifts that God has given you for his glory. Isn't that really what it's all about? It's for his glory. Um, I mentioned that she's a junior at Aberdeen Christian School. Quick shout out to the uh, second place state B uh, team from Aberdeen Christian School. Yeah. Uh, final game was last night and, and uh, they got second place and and, uh, you know, every, every team wants, wants first place. But I was thinking about it early this morning. They, uh, I don't know how many State B teams there are in this in South Dakota, but, but uh, they made it all the way to second place, and that is no small accomplishment. Congratulations again. And uh, it's, it's especially uh, astounding, not astounding, but remarkable, uh, in that it's really a relatively new uh, program as well. And so... Um, just many of us have friends or family on the team, and so just a shout out to them. We thank God that He uses us, and we're grateful for these these wonderful ministries and schools. If you have a Bible this morning, I'd like you to turn to the Book of Judges, chapter seven, Old Testament Book of Judges, chapter seven. Judges chapter seven tells us about uh, the Israelite army under the leadership of a man named Gideon. While you're turning there to Judges 7, let me just remind you of the setting of the book of Judges. It is that period of time before there were kings and after the people of Israel had gone in and conquered the land, the promised land of Israel. And you, you see the people of Israel, however, going off, walking away from God, going in and operating in the pagan practices of the world around them. And because of that, they, uh, they, would, they would go into this sin and they would then come under subjection. The Lord would uh, allow another nation to come in and defeat them and they would come under subjection and eventually they would cry out to God in repentance and God would raise up a deliverer. Uh, we would call those judges and God would deliver his people and then there would be a period of peace and then they would go into that cycle again. And so we've been looking at this for several weeks and this is the setting of Judges chapter 7. So Gideon is this person that God is raising up. He, we, we looked at his story last week and how we first see him hiding from the enemy and, and really in terror of what the enemy can do. He also is a person who does not have a very high, what we would call self-esteem. He knows and he acknowledged that he's the least of the least of the least in the kingdom. He essentially said there's no one more unlikely in all of the kingdom 
for God to use me. I'm the least likely. God is raising him up, and he is over this army. It's, it's actually kind of a militia, if you will, because remember, they're an occupied country, and, and it says here throughout the chapter, we know that the army that Gideon led had 32,000 soldiers, 32,000 people. That's roughly the size of Aberdeen. So we can kind of get a number on that, and that's not a small group of people, but that is the size of the, enem- of the army that he led. 30, however, they were 32,000 unskilled, untested, and unproven soldiers. They had never gone to war. They were not skilled in battle. They were not experienced in battle. We know that they were called to fight against, God was calling them to fight against the Midianite army, that's the occupying army, the Midianite army that was a skilled force of 135,000 soldiers. So, so again, understand these numbers. Uh, 32,000 are supposed to go against 135,000 soldiers. Now an army of 135,000 soldiers is rather impressive. Even by today's standards, that would be a sizable army. I went back and did a little bit of research on this, and I found out that today, if you were to have an army today of 135,000 people, that would be larger than 135 nations today. So it was a particularly sizable force back then. But here, They were a size or an army four times larger than the Israelite army that was being led by Gideon. Those are not good odds. I have never studied military strategy, but I'm sure that our very basic rule of war is to not engage a better trained army that outnumbers you four to one. I mean, that's just a basic thing. Uh, a, a, a small army who has never been tested going against a, an army four times larger and more skilled, um, that, that is just something that you do not do. You would go into a defensive position perhaps, but never in an offensive war. That's why verse 2 of Judges chapter 7 seems rather shocking. It reads this way, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now, now just pause there for a moment. I wonder if Gideon, as he's hearing this word from God, I'm wondering if he heard anything after the words, you have too many men. Remember, they're already outnumbered four to one, and then God says, You have too many men. And the Lord explained why. Because even though the Israelites were greatly outnumbered, it was still possible to win. It was not likely. Every every Israelite had to take down more than four Midianite. It was not very likely that that would happen, but it was still, still possible. And if they were to win... If somehow they were to win, they would claim the victory rather than giving glory to God. That's just kind of human nature, isn't it? When the underdog goes against the giant and defeats the giant, the tendency is that we draw glory to ourselves. 
That's just kind of how it is. I don't know if you've ever noticed one of the biggest battles that we have is giving glory to God, but instead we take glory for ourselves. We see this a lot. And God was essentially saying, you have too many people because though it's, it's improbable, it's still possible, and if you were to win, you would take the glory rather than giving glory to God. So God said, reduce your numbers. Remember, the Israelite army or the Israelite people were in subjection to the enemy because they failed to trust in God alone. It's part of the problem. In verse 3, God said how this reduction would happen. Uh, It reads, Announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Then it says this, So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Gideon said, if you're, essentially, if you're afraid, go home. And 22,000 people did. More than two-thirds, when he makes this announcement, more than two-thirds of the people got up and left. Just pausing in the text for a moment Can you imagine how difficult of a day that must have been when he makes this announcement and then he goes, I don't know, maybe he went back to his tent. And then then an hour later, he asks one of his commanders, so how many are left? You know, maybe 500 left or 1,000 left. And the commander says, yeah, 22,000 left. 10,000 remaining, but 22,000 have left. That had to be a hard day. That had to be so difficult to hear that news. So now the Israelite army was outnumbered not 4 to 1, but 13.5 to 1. That's the numbers. 13.5 to 1. To better appreciate the odds, it would be like one person on a football team going against the starting lineup of another team along with two of their coaches and the water boy. You have one person on this team and 13.5, my apologies to any water boys here, 13.5 people on this team over here. I wonder what Gideon was thinking when he heard that two-thirds of his, more than two-thirds of his people have gone. I wonder what he thought when he did the numbers and he realized now for every one of our soldiers there are more than 13 of the enemy. I wonder what he thought. Remember, this is a person who was already struggling with insecurities. This was already a person who said, I'm the most unlikely of people to lead this army, to lead this nation for this time. He's already having some inward struggles, but now when he hears that so many of his people have walked away, I wonder what was going through his mind. I would like to know what was going through the minds of the 10,000 people who remained. I wonder if they were thinking and they were doing the math and they're realizing this is more serious than we ever thought. But God wasn't done. Look at verse 4. It says, The Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. 
There are still, again, imagine Gideon when he heard this. There are still too many men. So here's what God did. He ordered a further thinning of their ranks. This time, not by determining who was afraid, because by now probably everyone was afraid. Rather, in verses 4 through, through 8, God divided the men this way. Gideon took the men down to the river. And those who, who put their, their face down into the water to drink, those persons were sent home. And the persons who reached down into the water, cupped the water in their hands and pulled it up to their, their mouths, those were the ones that were to remain. And the final number, there were just 300 Israelites left to fight 135,000 Midianites. You know what the odds are now? One Israelite for every 450 of the enemy. One Israelite for every 450 of the enemy. Using that football analogy again, it's like one player going against the combined starting lineups of the entire National Football League and the Canadian Football League. I mean, the, the numbers are astounding. Back when it was four to one, they could have said, you know, boy, if, if every Israelite just takes out four people, we can do this. But God would not have received the glory. And then, and then when the numbers were one Israelite for every 13 and a half of the enemy, they, they probably thought, whoa, this, is, this just suddenly became really difficult. We have to take out 13, 14 of theirs for every one of ours. But now the odds are so great, they're so almost ridiculous, is that nobody, nobody would ever believe that this was in, even possible. God's directive, God's order to Gideon seems irrational. It, it appears impossible. In fact, in the natural, it borders, it borders on the suicidal. But if they were to win, if they were to win, right, standing on this side of the victory, if somehow, some way, they were to win that day, no one among the 300 Israelites would ever take the glory. None of them would ever say, it was because of my military power or our strategy or our strength that defeated the enemy. No one would ever take the glory. They would know that God worked a miracle. You see, the Israelite army here in Judges chapter 7 was being reduced to prepare them for a, a victory. Let me say that again. They were being reduced to prepare them for a victory. They had to lose before they won. It's a very important line. They had to lose before they won. They had to be reduced. They had to be humbled. They had to be minimized before they could experience the victory. Now remember, here in Judges chapter 7, in fact, any place in Scripture, this is not simply just a history lesson, right? This is not just, this is what happened a long time ago in a faraway place. But rather, it's self-application, 
there's a message here for every one of us. That we need to lose some things at times before we can win. That we need to experience a loss of something before we can experience the victory in something else. So here's a question for you. Been praying for this time. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to put some things into our hearts and into our minds if He is not already. But are there some things that you need to release, or maybe someone that you need to release to gain a victory in which God alone gets the glory? Is there something that God is saying you need to give up? Before the victory comes. For some it may be someone that you need to release and let that thing go so that you can experience a victory in your life, perhaps in another area. Again, I believe that the Holy Spirit can identify those things that we need to release before a greater victory comes. Now you look at this, uh, this could fall into two different large categories. First of all, it could be something that is of a sinful nature. Something that God's word says is wrong and, and you're experiencing it and you need to release that. You need to let that go. You need to send that away. There may be some persons here this morning or some persons who are listening and you know that there are some things perhaps that are happening in your life that you know that it's wrong. God's word is very clear. It's wrong. And you're wondering why you're not experiencing victory in another area. It's because you're holding on to that one thing and you need to release it. The, uh, that, first, uh, that first cut when, when God said... Uh, go ahead and release these that are fearful and he announces it and more than two-thirds left. I think it could be argued that they were probably better off without them. You don't want to go into battle with someone who is going to uh, be fearful, somebody whose heart is really not in it. And, and so I understand that. And, and I, think of, I think of the things that can diminish our hearts that and diminish our strength that we just need to let go because they're not of God. But there were also some good soldiers who stayed behind, some of the 10,000 who, who, who had a heart for the battle, who really were not afraid and they were wanting to go into battle. And then God said, that second cut, separate them this way and only 300 remained and what, 9,700 left because they drank the water the wrong way? See, that's harder for me to understand. But God had an objective in mind. So there are certainly things in our lives where we know that are not of God and we need to release those and, and let them go and, and never go back to them. But there are also things that God is saying, I want you to give up and we don't understand why. Things that, see 9,700 of those soldiers had a heart for battle. But God in his greater plan said let them go and that was more difficult. 
See, sometimes there are things in our lives where we look at them and they're good things, right? 9,700 of those soldiers were good soldiers. And sometimes there are things in our lives that are really good things. And God says, no, I want you to give that up. I want you to release that. Has there ever been a time in your life when God said, I want you to give this up indefinitely or for a season? And you're going, I don't understand why. And he doesn't give you an answer. Are there some things in your life right now that the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to put that on hold, I want you to put that aside, or I want you to turn your back on that and never go back. Not because it's sinful, but because God has another plan. Maybe it's someone or something in which you found your strength. Maybe it's someone or something in which you found your identity. And God's saying, give it up. Let it go. Release it. That chapter of your life, that that period of your life is no more, or it's going to be on hold for a while. There have been a number of times in my life where the Lord very clearly said, that's not of me. The Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was reading his word, and and all of a sudden you realize, boy, that's just wrong. That's sinful. I'm, I'm turning my back on that, and I release it. There have been other times in my life where God said, no more. Put this on hold or release it completely, indefinitely, perhaps forever. And I'm like, God, I don't understand that. That's something good. That's something noble. That's something that's important to me. That's something that I'm good at. And God has said, nope, let it go. Why? Because there's a victory ahead that that has to be released before the victory comes. You see, this kind of redefines the value of loss, doesn't it? There are some of you here this morning who may have been looking for some kind of a victory, right? We've sung about victory this morning. There are some who may have been looking for some kind of victory, thinking that you first need to acquire something, or you need to gain something, or you need to learn something, or you need to meet someone. You know that you need a victory, and you're thinking the victory is going to come by what you gain, and I'm saying the victory may come by what you release. Had he uh, not released large parts of the army on those two occasions, um, I think at best they would have won they would have been very prideful. They, they, they would be remembered in that immediate history for a, uh, among the people, but not long term. Or at worst, they would have been absolutely defeated and annihilated, and, and maybe they would be a footnote in the, in the tragic history of the people of Israel. But, but we remember them, and we talk about it now thousands of years later, because someone, in obedience to God, released something 
to gain the victory. They lost before they won. There's a powerful quote. Um, some of you may recognize the name. He, he lived and died many, many years ago. His name was, uh, was Jim Elliott. He was, a, he was a missionary in South America who, as a, as a rather young man, died, a very young man with a young family died in his efforts to take the gospel to people who had not heard yet about Jesus. Jim Elliott, years before he died, as a student, as I recall, he wrote something that has really become a powerful statement. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. So often we think, uh, our, our world tells us that victory, success, um, triumph is going to be in what you gain, in what you maneuver, in what you learn, in what you acquire. And in God's kingdom, so often the victory comes not in what we gain, but in what we release. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep eternally to gain what he can never lose. Again, I ask this very pointed question. Is the Holy Spirit, has he, even in preparation for this time, in, in days leading up to this time, are there some things that the Holy Spirit has said, you need to let that go? It may be of a, a very good thing and it may be a very evil thing, but either, either way, God is saying, release it, let it go. I wonder how many people here have been offended by someone a long time ago, you're still carrying it and you just need to let that go. You need to release it. I wonder how many here have been asking God, Lord, bring the victory, Lord, bring that Bring that thing that I so desperately need, that thing that I've been praying for for so long, and you're wondering why it isn't coming, because the Lord is saying, first, you need to lose before you gain. You need to lose before you win. Years after the events of Judges chapter 7, in John chapter 15, Jesus was teaching his disciples. Years later, Using a word picture of a grapevine, Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 1. He, he said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Listen to this. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remember I said that sometimes there are things that we release that are just, they're just in the way. They're, 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 they're stopping our right relationship between God and with others, and we need to release them. But then there are other things where God just says release them, and we don't understand why, because they're good things, and God says let them go. This is what this is talking about here. Jesus said, He is the, he is the true vine, the Father is the gardener, 
and he cuts off every branch. That's you and we're, we're branches. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. There are some things that need to be cut from our lives because they are draining the fruit. They are keeping the fruit away. But then he, and that's, that's not hard to understand. It's the second part that is more difficult. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You understand pruning. If you have an apple tree, you have a, a fruit tree of some sort, you understand the value of pruning. And you're cutting that off and you're thinking that makes no sense whatsoever. But because there has to be a greater harvest or a greater victory on the other side of it. And there's some things that we need to say, I'm cutting it off because it's, it's, it's deadly, it's evil, it's despicable, and it needs to be removed from our lives and never reacquired. And there are other things where we say, it's good, it's it's valuable. He's used me before. There's been fruit from that. And the Holy Spirit is saying, cut it off. Prune it back. So that there will be a greater harvest. So that it will be more fruitful. It means that he prunes us so that we know that, that our strength and our wisdom and our resource and even our experiences will not win the battle, but only our connection to Him. Um, I think I may have mentioned this before. I'm at a, I'm, I'm at a, a challenging point in life where I have a lot of experiences and I've learned a lot of things and there's a terrible temptation at times to lean upon my experience and the ways that I've done things before to win the battle rather than being sensitive to the leading of His Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? You see, when you're young and you're inexperienced, you're like, oh God, help me, I don't know what to do. But when you get older and you learn some things and you, you, you fought some battles, you go, I know how to fight this battle. I, just like I did that time and that time and that time. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I'm going to do it in a different way. And so we have to release some of those experiences. He prunes us so that we know, boy, when the victory comes, I take no glory. I take no glory. I, I, don't, I don't take any of the credit for what God has done. This alone is due Him. God will often reduce us before He uses us. Every person, every person who accomplished anything great in this book, every person was first greatly reduced. Hear me. You want to be used of God? There's going to be some things you have to release. You want to see some amazing victories? Unlike you could ever anticipate? Ever imagine? Then there's going to have to be some things that you say, alright Lord, I'm going to release that. Every person. Here and here. Every person greatly used of God is first greatly reduced. Now, <clears throat> I don't want to end this morning without sharing about the battle, right? The rest of the story. 
true story. In verse 15, Gideon went to the now small camp of the 300, and he said, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. I like that part. Uh, he, he, he said, something has happened inside of Gideon. This is not the guy who's hiding in a wine press going, why pick me? Something has happened in him because he says, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Now look at verse 16. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Man, there's not a spear or a sword in sight. Can you imagine the 300 lined up? And, and he starts handing out trumpets and empty jars with, with, a, with, a, with a torch or a candle inside. What are we supposed to do with this? This makes no sense. First of all, you... Let the, 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 those who are fearful go away. Got it, I understand. But then you, then you whittle it down to 300 and then you issue us with this. Look at verses 19 and following. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. By the way, that's shortly after midnight. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord. And they don't have, a, they don't have any swords, but they said, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Now look at verse 22. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The swords that were used that day to kill the enemy were the enemy's own swords. They wiped each other out. So the 300, they entered the camp, they broke the pitchers, they blew the trumpets, let out a yell, and the Midianites went crazy. They got up, jumped up, got all excited, and to, in their confusion, they began killing each other. Later on, it says that, that we're told that 135,000 Midianite soldiers were defeated that day, and there are no casualties listed in the Israelite army. It was an amazing, unprecedented victory that we still talk about more than 3,000 years later. And by the way, they gave God the glory. What did you do in the war? Well, I had a, I had a jar with a candle in this hand, and I had a trumpet. Boy, did I blow that trumpet. I blew the trumpet loud that day. You didn't kill anybody. I didn't kill a person. You didn't run anybody through? No, but boy, I blew that trumpet. Can you imagine their kids? Well, that doesn't sound like anybody. But God got the glory. They lost before they won. The victory came in large part because someone was willing to release something. The victory came in part 
because someone released something. So I ask you again, is there something that you have held on to that must be released before the victory comes? Is there anything? Anything? Good or bad? And the Holy Spirit, even right now, is saying, you need to let that go. That that thing, perhaps the thing that you found your identity in, or that, that thing that you found your strength in, or that thing that you found your hope in, or that thing that just seems so benign or even very, very good, you need to let it go. There are others here this morning, and you know, and some of the things that I'm doing, thinking, saying, they're not of God. I, I, there's too many victories ahead. Listen to me, friends. There are too many victories that God wants to do in you and through you. And, 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 and you have to hear this message. That the victory is going to come in part because you release something back to God. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team if they will come at this time. Um, we've had a lot of things happening this, this morning, some really good things that happened this morning, but we're not done. Um, I, be, I believe one of the, the best things that could happen today is really just about to happen, and that's in, in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Um, what is about to happen is there are going to be some victories right now that are in the balance because there's some things that need to be released. And if you release that, um, I really believe that victory, it's setting you up for victory. So um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna close this time in prayer. In fact, to prepare you for that, would you just stand uh, across the building, please? And if you're joining us online, um, I, don't, don't tune us out yet. Please don't do that. Um, because you, we have more and more people every week who are listening. And this is for you as well that the, the Holy Spirit is speaking, and, and, and I want you to make a very holy moment where you are as well, and, and an altar of prayer. But in a few moments, we're going to open up these altars, and um, you're not going to care about who's watching you or thinking about you. You're, you're not going to care who goes up or who doesn't. You're, you're not going to be distracted by that. But there are going to be some persons who are going to step forward and saying, yeah, Lord, I need a victory. Show me what I need to release. Yeah, Lord, I, I, I know that there's a battle that is before me, and it's bigger than what I can imagine, and I, I just don't see how. So would you show me? And if releasing something is going to be a really key part of that victory, um, then so be it, and you need to speak to me, and I want you to come as well. So we're going to do that here in just a few moments. Uh, I'm going to pray. And then the team is going to sing and, and lead us while they're singing. I want you to come forward. We will not have a formal close. You're done and feel free to leave at any point, but especially after you've spent some time, if you come forward at these altars. But I, I'm really believing that the victories that are ahead are right now a little bit in the balance because those victories then are dependent upon our release now. All right? You ready for this? So again, these altars are going to be open. And right now, the Holy Spirit's stirring some of you, and you're saying, yes, victory, victory, victory. I need that, but I need to release. What is it, Lord? I want you to come and make this place a place of prayer. Pray as long as you want.
And uh, then when you're done, feel free to go. Let's, let's close our time now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've spoken to us today. I thank you for the power of your word, that this, the events of Judges chapter 7, uh, the elements of Judges chapter 7 are for today. Lord, your word is powerful. Your word is pointed. It has spoken into our lives. And your Holy Spirit, Lord, the author of this book, is now calling us to let some things go. So, Lord, meet us at these altars. I thank you. Lord, as we leave this place in the next few moments, in the, in the hours ahead, I pray that you will empower us to do your work and your will. There are victories to be won. There are, there are, there are lives to be changed outside these walls. And, and I pray that you will use us to that end. But, Lord, um, the strength is going to come. The victory is going to come in releasing. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Come as we sing.